0: Welcome to the mini break, your date podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, March 8th. On today's show, we continue our job of preparing all of you tennis fans for the start of the 2023 Indian Wells. In particular, we're going to be naming our top five contenders for the men's singles crown. Of course, it's the first time since Andre Agassi that we've had an American man defending the title at Indian. That's an interesting wrinkle, something, of course, we covered on yesterday's show extensively when we previewed all of the American men with David Kane. But again, on today's show, we want to look who are the top five contenders for the men's singles crown, of course, in an event that does not include any of Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal, or Roger Federer. All of those factors in mind, it promises to be a compelling 10 Days of Tennis at. Indian Wells, and joining us on today's show to help us preview all of the action to offer us his top five contenders for the men's singles crown is a returning champion here on our Crack Rackets podcast, a man you know best as the host of Monday Match Analysis, as the host of 3A Tennis Show, as the co-host of the Breakpoint Show here at Crack Rackets, of course, a tennis channel contributor extraordinaire, my dear friend, and eyebrowed nemesis. It's Gil Gross. Gil, welcome back to the show. That intro gets longer and longer every time you join us. I feel like that means all is well in Gil Grossville.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm going to keep trying to extend it to, to <laughs> yeah. allow you to earn your money. Uh, but good to be on with you at uh, 8 16 p.m. Pacific from the city of Angels. It's been a long day for you, I know. So I'll do a lot of talking in this one. We've heard from you enough today.
0: A city of angels, is that how you're going to describe an apartment I have seen that Yeah, it's a slice of heaven, I'll say. I really enjoyed walking in. It was absolutely delightful. You're like, oh, I'm in Monday Match Analysis HQ. You're rocking and rolling. And so, you know, I did have some advice from a commenter on our Apple Podcast feed. I talked about this at length with DK on Sunday, who said I should do less interrupting because I bring on very interesting guests. I assume he was referring to David and not you in mentioning those interesting guests. Nevertheless, Mm -hmm. I appreciate your inspiration to be interested Uh, your motivation to be interesting here on today's show. I always appreciate joining uh, you joining us. Of course, I always appreciate the support we get from all of our listeners as well as our friends at Tennis Point as well, com. The promo code is CR15. All that said, let's get right into it. And I mentioned it at the top. You are the host of Three, a tennis show, a show that primarily focuses on everything Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic, Roger Federer, None of them are in this Indian Wells men's singles draw. And so the opening question I want to ask you as we name our top contenders, this is a pecking order event for the ATP Tour, is it not?
1: Yes. Uh, Is there a part two of that question?
0: No, just that's part one. Uh, There will be a part two, but let's start there.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, Yeah, it feels big because it, it occupies its own spot on the calendar. There's no other tournament to overshadow the sunshine double like many of the other masters 1000s have um rome is not as big as the tournament two weeks later uh, after rome and same thing with the u.s open with canada and cincinnati in the lead-up like these are these are lead-in events to a major championship and i feel like the sunshine double it's just got its own little slice on the calendar it's not post u.s open where the stakes are just all feel lower. Uh, it's in the middle of the year, but there's no major. So it's like, oh, who won the Australian Open? Who who did well at the Sunshine Double? And then you go from there. Clay season, grass season, North American hard courts. Yeah, I, I think it does feel like a big deal.
0: Yeah. And I feel like the most interesting question right now on the ATP tours, who is the second best player in the world? Like, obviously Novak Djokovic still occupies the number one spot, and given Daniil Medvedev ripped off three titles in three consecutive weeks, fourteen consecutive victories, including a win over Djokovic, yeah, you feel like he's the number one guy. But if Carlos Alcaraz is our number two guy, I'm saying behind Novak Djokovic, number one guy for the number two spot, Gil made a I don't think
1: number. Right. I don't think number two is hard. Well, I think it gets hard after that.
0: So here's the thing, though. If Carlos Alcaraz is healthy, hasn't he earned the right to be in that number two spot? And to your point, I think, you know, again, you throw those two in the mix. Obviously, Nadal's not healthy. But beyond those two, who's four? Who's five? Who's six? Like, obviously, Stefano Tsitsipas made a final in Australia. He's earned a little bit of a benefit of a doubt. But Cam Norrie's playing really well. You know, Hubi Hurkats is playing really well. Guys like Sinner and Runa and... Rublev, all the names we've considered, they're right there in the conversation. And, you know, guys like Kasparud, Alex Virev, who have typically dominated those spots of late, they're not right now at the top of that list. So I, that's why I guess part two is it's as much pecking order for the top, in my opinion, as it is for spots three through 12. You seem to disagree slightly.
1: Well, no, I just, I was just a little bit thrown off because okay. I feel like it's Djokovic, Alcaraz. That's pretty simple and easy. Uh, and then, and then I think it gets murky. I think after Djokovic and Alcaraz, that's where it gets murky. I mean, the guy, uh, first of all, I think we're assuming Alcaraz is going to be better this year, right? Uh, 19 year olds, usually you're going to get not better, better
0: status quo.
1: Sure. Sure. That, that that's fair. Uh, you know, and he finished year end number one and he won a major. So to me that means okay uh, unless you're going to prove otherwise. Yeah, tier one guy, exactly. Then I think it does get murky. I think after the Australian Open, I kind of did my tiers and I put T.T. Pas in a tier by himself and I I basically excommunicated Medvedev from that <laughs> tier and now of course he's got to be back. Uh so I I would say yes though after after Alcaraz to me it gets very, very cloudy. There's a lot of names in there.
0: You don't put Medvedev on that tier with Alcaraz now as an unequivocal tier one guy, specifically as it relates to hard courts. because no. Okay, why not?
1: Because it was February.
0: Okay. No, I'm but, joking. I'm joking. Yeah, no, no, no. It's, and not, you it's coined not actually because ter- it's— Well, you coined the term February and October <laughs> players, which has become a staple here at Cracked Rackets, as our listeners will know. Um I disagree. Like, February – we've had this debate in person so many times. February only matters if it matters. And, like, for Daniil Medvedev, how can you say it didn't matter?
1: Look, I was – okay. There's a little bit of truth to my response there, but I was also (laughs) 70% joking. The real reason is because in a, what, 13, 14-month sample size, there have been some concerns with Daniil Medvedev. Like, let's just see – uh, let's just see what happens again when the surfaces slow down here because that's where he's generally struggled. Um, I have no doubt that he is there on a hard court. Um, but at the same time, like that tier two is really good. Uh, and that's where I'm I'm putting Medvedev. So Djokovic, Alcaraz. But no, I don't put Medvedev with Djokovic and Alcaraz after the four, last 14 months we've seen. He's going to need to do a little bit more I, I look he he played out of his mind for three weeks there's no doubt about that untouchable miraculous incredible all of those things but i don't know i don't like to react that i don't i don't think there's anything you can do in three weeks with the way i operate to go from like tier four to tier one it, okay. it can't happen in three weeks
0: where i we're gonna disagree on him more because obviously he's on my top five men's contenders list so i'll save the body of my argument of why you're wrong for that moment but foundationally and i did the same thing of dropping him off after the australian open and saying oh my god ct has the lead of the original next gen cruise virev ct Pass, uh and medvedev and if you're willing to do that after what was actually just like a, he went 18 and 9 from august to the end of last season you know what we'll get into all of the specifics of what the losses actually looked like a little bit later but like 27 matches at the end of last year he's played 21 to start this year and he's 19 and two like i don't think it's dramatic to move him up that quickly because of the extent of the sample size we saw in february and just like i mean he played 14 matches he won 28 of 31 sets like come on now that's that. that's the good
1: stuff i know i agree but if he yeah. does it at indian wells that'll be a totally different thing because uh, that's right. a surface that's a surface that traditionally has been tough for him. So, And also, I want to see some stylistic stuff. I want to see him beat some players who come forward, for example. So uh,
0: that's the key thing that I want to get back to later. So let's hold right. that thought, because we're going to talk about him, certainly. I imagine he's got to be on your top five list. I know he's on mine, so we'll get yep. to him a little bit later. Okay. Let's get to the list now, though. We'll start with you. We'll start at the bottom because I think that's where things are a little bit more interesting. Who's number five on Gil Gross's list?
1: Uh, number five for me is Yannick Sinner. Uh, he is. It, it's interesting because anyone who who watched my predictions, it, it's. I went kind of bold this tournament in terms of what I was actually predicting, um, and I actually put Yannick Sinner through, um, like all the way. I just, it's something I feel now in, in this format, I'm not like putting him number one. Cause that's silly. He's not the number one contender. Uh, but I'm just saying like in my prediction, I have him winning.
0: Okay. Here's what I just want. I don't mean to cut you off because I want you to make the case. Yeah. But I have him at number two on my list. So here's my question to you, and I apologize for the two early F-bombs, West off. But how the f then can he be at five? Because like I see what you see, and we'll get to that in a second, but like five is too low. Uh,
1: um, okay, first of all, you're not gonna you're not gonna put me in a position to have the anti center argument here. I picked you him to picked win
0: the turn. To so
1: sure how can he be five? Because he this I feel like a list like this, like you have to You have to earn that. And I mean, again, Sinner, Sinner in the, again, it's a 14 month sample size thing. Like it hasn't quite been there, but I really loved what he did in Rotterdam. Obviously won the title the week before in Marseille. And I feel like this is going to be a Yannick Sinner breakout year. I think we both agree that he was kind of on the cusp. There were some health things. There were some tough breaks, but he continues to kind of get a little bit better around the edges uh volleying better he's even more athletic than he was last year by the looks of it moving even better mentally we love him he's dynamite uh for indian wells in terms of the conditions i want power i want a big forehand in fact i need a big forehand i'm not picking you to do well at this tournament if you don't have a big forehand uh center has that requisite power from the back of the court and he's just so, so steady and, and so solid. I trust him not to beat himself. Um, and the, the return of serve is so, so good. And I think in these conditions, it can, uh, I, I won't be scared if he comes up against big servers uh, under any circumstances.
0: Well, the reason you have to make the anti-center argument is because we have staked our our positions. Your team Alcaraz, I'm team center. That's just how it's going to be moving forward for the sake of our rivalry Yannick Sinner has been ridiculous for two years now. I mean, he's been a top 10 guy. If they offered Wimbledon points for his quarterfinal, where let's not forget he was up two sets to love on Djokovic for what it's worth, he would have been at the year-end championships last year. He and Rafa, the only guys to make the second week at every slam. You look for Sinner, 108 and 41. He would have been
1: top eight if they gave him Wimbledon. Really?
0: Yeah, I think the margin was that thin. Like, I I think him and Nori would have gotten those final two spots if they would have offered Wimbledon points in the end. The whole chase also looks different. So it's hard to project that clearly. But, like, Sinner gets into the top 10 after making that Wimbledon quarterfinal. And, again, a U.S. Open quarterfinal as well. He makes the Pass quarterfinals last three losses at the Slams all in five sets, all really competitive matches. You know, again, he's 108-41 overall over his last two years of tour level plays made 22 quarterfinals and 45 quarter uh, total events it's all ridiculous you know you look for him against players ranked outside the top 50 during this stretch 69 and 10 against players ranked outside the top 20 93 and 21 you want to make that master specific fine he's 23 and 9 he beats who he's supposed to beat we've had this discussion before the last piece is getting those top 10 wins in the big moment and a lot of that's come down to health and fitness And the rant I keep going on of late, Gil, is the idea that Yannick Sinner should be anywhere close to his physical prime because those of us with long enough memories can remember 08, 09, early 2010 Djokovic. The questions about his fitness were the biggest thing early in his career, the fitness and the serve. And then he hit 2011 and he turned 23, 24 years old. And then it was never, never a question again. Sinner's still two years away from that moment. And yet all of the guys, you know, who go on to be those caliber players, they go on a run. They win a Masters event. Obviously, Alcaraz has won a slam and a Masters. Runa's won a Masters. Sinner's time is coming. He's made a Miami final. Now, he actually doesn't have as many hardcourt Masters wins as some of the guys we're going to talk about on my list. But, like, well, he's healthy, looked great in February. I think yeah. he's ready.
1: Yeah, he looked great. He's rested, and he yeah. built up confidence. Like To me, he had the ideal February. All right, you want me to make the anti-Yannick argument for number two?
0: This is why I would love to hear it. If you picked him to win, what's your yeah. biggest reservation? Uh,
1: the biggest reservation is he hasn't done this before. <laughs> sure. I mean, he won one title last year. Uh, it was—I'm um, eh, forgetting it now. Uh, I believe it was a 250. It was over oh, It was Uma. Yeah, where he beat yeah, yeah. in the final. Yeah, yeah. So he won one title last year and it was a 250. Mm-hmm. uh his what's what's his what's the biggest title of his career uh obviously city like we open, know it's not a thousand okay the 500 at the city open that's that's why it's tough to be like oh sinners number two here that's the argument against him
0: sinner fourth according to tennis abstract 9.2 percent point one behind Alcaraz. he's fourth according to odds makers at plus 900.
1: Okay, I mean, it, he's it, just,
0: I mean, you look at his draw, sorry, I apologize, I didn't mean to cut you off, but for Sinner, he's in a section of the draw where you see his immediate seed is a guy in Lorenzo Musetti who has not played particularly well. Boy, would I love to see a round of 16 between he and Rune. That would be really fun. He's on the Alcaraz half. He avoided Medvedev, like he avoided some other guys we're going to talk about. I think I feel better about Sinner's health than Alcaraz's health coming in. You look at the advanced analytics, five guys ranked top, 25, uh, top 20 in both hold and break percentage over the last 52 weeks. Djokovic and Medvedev both ranked 10, top 10. No one ranks top 15. Chilich, who's only played a French Open semifinal, ranks top 20. And then the other two guys are Alcaraz and Sinner. Like, I think that is, th- I think when healthy, those are the four best players in the world on a hard court that I feel most confident in match in, match out. That might be a little sizzly, but... When Sinner's healthy, I know what I'm getting from him. And I've said it a million times. This will be the last time I say it. And then I'm going to shut up and listen to you. He wins the match point over Carlos Alcaraz. We're talking about him like we've talked about Alcaraz for the past four months. Like, he was a match point away. I think he goes on to win the U.S. Open. He didn't. He still needs to prove it. I think this is his career arc. I think he does go on to prove it. I think he wins this Indian Wells as well.
1: And that's kind of, I think what we've seen at the majors is the reason why we won't get a lot of blowback here for being high on Yannick Sinner because everybody has built up an enormous amount of respect for him because of how he played Djokovic at Wimbledon, how he played Alcaraz, uh, at the U S open. Um, and it just seems, and then I, I guess the, the most recent example is, uh, is is once again how he played Tsitsipas at the Australian Open, even though that match wasn't, I don't think, I think in many of those cases, the match wasn't quite as close as it looks on paper, except the Alcaraz match, which obviously at a match point, it was, sure. it was that close. Um, and that's why it does just feel like this is coming and it's only a matter of when and it's picking your spot. Uh, yeah, I like this surface for him. I like these conditions. I like him with time. I like him on clay. I think he moves a little bit better on hard court though. So that's awesome for this. Yeah. I don't think his quarter is great uh, because I like Taylor Fritz and Runa a lot. I think it's mm. one of the better quarters in the draw in terms of the two seeds that are sure. high, uh, the three highest seeds, I should say.
0: Yeah, very well That's said. All- No, the other thing is, look, Sinner continues to get better. The break percentage has improved in all five of his tour-level seasons. Started at 77.2. It's now at 86.5 this year, which is, again, a top 15 sort of number. Um, Sinner's always been good on the return of serve. You don't see any structural issues, forehand, backhand, side. Boy, can he crank the backhand cross court. He just gets so viscerally outside of the ball. It's such a beautiful Thing to see from a technique standpoint, he has become a more willing volleyer. He has become a more explosive mover. He's good at everything. Like there's no discernible weakness other than the physicality. He's clearly not where he needs to be to be a perennial top five guy. But slower. this is good,
1: by the way. The format uh, we got to yeah. say this: it's best of three sets with a day off in between. It's a good format. Very if, well. If, said. if you're not, if you're not, you know, super uh, durable or you know, your endurance is kind of not a strength as you go forward in tournaments, which arguably Sinners has not been. This is a pretty good format for that.
0: Yeah, and I said he's going to win it. I actually think he's going to lose in the finals. I do have him coming out of the top half. I think he's my number two guy for a reason. But yeah, I think that's the pretty clear cut is guys like Yannick Sinner, who have won over you know, 60% of their tour-level matches entering their age 21-22 season, those guys go on to be perennial top 15 top 10 guys more often than not in their pro career. When you have as many quarterfinals as Sinner does in 1,000-level master— excuse me, slam-level events, you just feel like, again, he's the guy who's on that career path, and the next thing missing is a signature title run. Maybe we get it in Indian Wells, but— He's number five on your list, even though he's your pick champion and people can go hear all of your analysis over on Monday Match Analysis on the Gil Gross YouTube channel or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tell me who's number four on your list.
1: Number four is Taylor Fritz. Okay. Uh, This is probably the only tournament in the world where I would have him at number four. The only Masters 1000, uh, you know, with like a full field where I would have him at number four. But the Indian Wells success is not, a coincidence at all uh it's every year it's his entire career you could go back to let's go to let's look at 2017 taylor fritz was a wild card at indian wells he was the world number 136 he beat seventh ranked marin Chilich. Huh. uh 2018 really he makes the round of Tiafa. 16 um no, that was 2016, I believe.
0: Oh. Yeah, well, that's another fun one on the Indian yeah. Wells resume.
1: But he but he lost that one. Yeah. Uh, 2018, he makes the fourth round. He's 74 in the world at this time. So that's a really good run for him there. Uh, and then, of course, the last two years. 2021, he makes the semifinal and loses to Basilashvili. He beat Zverev, Sinner, Berrettini, Nakashima on that run. And then last year, he wins it all, beats... Demon Orkic, Rublev, Nadal actually had a, an easier path until Nadal. Uh, it, it's not like Taylor just happened to have a good run last year. No, he's just better on this surface where the ball pops up and gives him a lot of time to load up his high contact point forehand, which he flattens out beautifully, and he hits the crap out of it. Uh, so it just really, really helps his forehand. He can serve big. And obviously there's the factor of motivation and just feeling at home and feeling confident. He considers this to be his home tournament and like mentally that has just really helped him. Now he's the defending champion. He's the kind of guy who I think gets draws more confidence out of that than he feels pressure. So I'm really high on Taylor Fritz here.
0: Taylor Fritz according to the odds tennis abstract has him as 6th, 5.7% chance. Odds makers have him 7th, 22 to 1 odds. The Australian Open throws off what has been a really good year for Taylor Fritz. Yes, he lost to Popperin, but, you know, again, really good run at United Cup. Beats Berrettini, Hurkacz, Zvira Lahechka. there. He wins Del Rey. You know, plays a really fun match with Tommy in, Acapulco, in the Acapulco semifinal for all of its strangeness. Slow, high-bouncing hardcourt and he's got weapons to hit through it. He has more time to get to the ball, and he has the weapons to hit through the court. His kick serve on this surface is a joke, um, and there's so much open space. Even he can make the volley there. I don't have Fritz in my top five, though. I have him outside the list, and it has less to do with him than more, and more to do with the other players on my list. I also think, again, you talked about his section earlier. Runa Rube, uh, and Sinner, really tough seeds to have to get through. He also... I'll tell you what. We talked about the narrative arc for Sinner. I did this whole segment with DK on yesterday's show, so I won't rehash it all here. I'll give you the the synopsis. If Ben Shelton's him, as the kids like to say, doesn't he beat Fritz in round number two? And that's the story coming out of the opening weekend. Like, can't you see where that world exists?
1: Uh, a little bit. I I have it as a popcorn match uh, yeah. in my in my draw preview. That's for sure. I like Shelton on a slow hard court as well. I think the the backhand can get rushed if the court is too quick. Uh, I know a lot of people would say, "Oh, you want you want a speedy court for his serve," but I don't. I don't think that's going to be how his young career plays out. Uh, just for now, I think the extra time will help him. Mm-hmm. That said, I I, I I I don't know. Um, look, Fritz has it. Phenomenal backhand to withstand Shelton's leftiness. And <laughs> Fritz will be a deserved favorite in that match. But yeah, yeah. It, it it's definitely a chance for Shelton to kind of announce himself as the present mm-hmm. instead of like re- remaining in kind of prospect status. Because that Australian Open run, as incredible as it was, the draw opened up. So yeah. that will forever be kind of over Shelton's head, not forever. For now, it will be over Shelton's head as a, a bit of a question mark, is are you going to pull off wins against guys like Taylor Fritz? And not not are you, but how soon will you?
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. That's why it's a fascinating matchup. I just think it's a really tough section for Fritz to get through, and so I left him off my list. My number five name, which I have yet to mention, Carlos Alcaraz. I have him at the number five spot. And it has nothing to do with his tennis. And I know we're not doctors, so we don't have to play a game of speculation Jones here. But, like, how healthy is he coming into this? Again, you look for Alcaraz. He's played, what, nine matches overall this season? Obviously, eight and one gets a bunch of physical matches on those clay courts in South America banged up at the end of his final in Rio against Nori. Now he's had 10 days to recover. He's the top seed here this week. Tennis abstract has him third, 9.3% chance. DraftKings second, six to 6-1 odds. Again, it has less to do about the tennis, more about the health. You know, you look at the section of the draw. It's definitely interesting, you know, Greek spore who we both like a little bit better than Bonzi. Um, he, It's a tough physical ask. Like, again, in the third round, if everything holds seed, you play, you know, a Draper, a Murray, a PCB, and Evans, that's mm. no fun round four, and then... Nah,
1: that's fine on the surface. There's, okay. not power. There's no power in that group. But
0: how healthy is he?
1: Yeah, so I am not concerned. And yes, this is okay. a little bit speculative, but after not playing for months, he comes back and makes back-to-back finals, it would have been probably unwise for him to play Acapulco anyway. Uh-huh. And yes, he, he pulls out and says, well, I actually have a hamstring strain. Uh, either, I, I forget, is grade three or grade one the least severe version? Do you remember? I think,
0: it's, I think it's like DEFCON, where like the lower the number, the more dangerous it is. Like DEFCON 1, it's like we're at nuclear war. DEFCON 6, it's like, DEFCON 1 is like, <laughs> is like, oh no, is Nadal really too injured? Um, DEFCON 6 is like, oh, Alcaraz has a little hamstring issue. Um, I think, I'll look this up. I don't know. I, I That was a filibuster. I have no idea. But people yeah, get the we, DEFCON we, thing wrong, so I want them to know.
1: Sure. Okay. We've spent 45 seconds too long on uh, grades of hamstring tears. But I know it's the, it's the least severe one. And I'm always a little bit less uh, concerned. Grade
0: one, mild. Grade three, most severe.
1: There you go. So he has a grade one hamstring strain. There you go. Uh, and I'm I'm always less concerned when a player pulls out of an event, cites an injury, but they probably should have pulled out of the event anyway just to rest. And that's why it's like, all right, I see you, Carlos. I, I, and I don't doubt that there's a hamstring issue. At the same time, it's, I, I can't be that concerned because I, it, it was a completely expected withdrawal.
0: Yeah, you're right about that. He looked a half step, a step slow to start half step slow by the end of his time on the South American swing.
1: Well, I agree, but he was exhausted. No.
0: Yeah, that's true. But
1: look, didn't play match- a single match for three months and then he played. I think it was nine matches in twelve days. It was his ninth match in twelve days, and he, yeah, he, he basically stopped running against Cam Norrie. He was done, uh, and but I, I don't know. I just I can't be that concerned about his hamstring coming into this.
0: Okay, that's fair. Look, I have him five purely based on health, but he has to I be get in it. the top five because if he isn't, he- if he is healthy. I have no doubts about his tennis. Like, he still hit the tennis ball extraordinarily well in South America. If you were watching him play, DEFCON 2 would be my update there. It's not nuclear war, but, like, yeah, he's coming. We all know Carlos Alcaraz, world number one slam champion. No hot take there. All right. You've given me five for you, Yannick Sinner. My five, Carlos Alcaraz. Your four, uh, Taylor Fritz. You want to hear my number four? Yeah. Cam Nori at the number four spot for me. Do you remember when Cam Norrie won this freaking event? In I do. 21?
1: I, I, I do. It's, it's uh, it was a wonky tournament. It was in October. It was uh cold and the conditions were just ridiculously slow because obviously it's normally pretty warm in March in Palm desert and the conditions are still slow. So now you, you, Combined chilly temperatures, and it was uh, an insanely slow Indian Wells. And you had, you know, Basilevski and uh, and Nori contest that final.
0: Cam Nori since the start of 2021, 22 and nine. At Hardcourt Masters 1000 level events, he's made the quarterfinals or further on three different occasions, twice at Indian Wells, once in Cincinnati. Nori during that stretch, 17-6 and six against opponents ranked outside the top 20, 5-3 against top 20 opponents. Slow, high-bouncing, hardcourt, physical matches, Nori's ready for that battle like he is in that elite physical tier obviously Djokovic when healthy's there Medvedev has to be there healthy Alcaraz is there I think Cam Norrie's there as well like the guy is on another planet I mean again you look for him over his last 52 weeks 57 and 23 overall top five in terms of total wins on the ATP tour looked really good during that South America stretch moves the ball so well around the court perfect for this condition I mean again we've seen him win this event and just like tactically another one of those guys how do you attack him what you know what's the obvious discernible weakness in Nori's game which I think is something you really need to be able to maximize on this surface in particular and then the physicality that's my Wait Nori's are you
1: four. are you are you saying there's no weakness
0: I'm saying I don't think there's a discernible weakness. Like, what, what, what are you saying, attack the forehand with pace?
1: No, no, I think the backhand is limited. Uh, It's not— Limited, but is that a weakness? No, I think it's a strength depending on the matchup and the surface, but it can be a weakness. And, like, against Carlos Alcaraz on clay, for example, it's a weakness to me Uh, because he he takes it cross, and it doesn't—it's not effective because low contact point— doesn't matter for Alcaraz. He can still attack, uh, even if it stays low. And and the angle with someone with Alcaraz's foot speed, that doesn't really give him much either. Uh, I think he made some adjustments uh, in Rio that were good on the backhand, but we don't need to get into that. But I, I think, yeah, the backhand is no, limited. No, let's get into really it. I mind.
0: thought the depth on his backhand in Rio was better than I had ever seen. And his adjustment from match one to match two against Alcaraz, taking that ball a little bit earlier, I was so impressed.
1: I I thought he stopped trying to hit his cross-court backhand with angle, and he's just started going deep- Yes. Yeah, deep, break the baseline, hit it deep, and hit it hard. And it just worked much, much better than his normal back end. His regular back end is low and angled, and it kind of brings you inside the court. And it, it's such a pain in the, in the butt to deal with because you got to scrape it off the, the court surface because it stays so low. Uh, but against Alcaraz, it just doesn't work. So, yeah, I thought he made a great adjustment. I I don't dislike the Nori pick at all. He's not in my top five. I I get it, though. Um, I really like what he's done with his forehand in 2023. I think it's a much bigger weapon, and, and that's the biggest difference, and he takes it down the line uh, aggressively. I really like the way he's doing that. Uh, if he plays a Stefanos Tsitsipas, who's in his quarter, he's not the better server. He doesn't have the bigger forehand. He's not the better mover. It really just comes down to is he going to be tougher, more consistent? Uh, tactically, is he going to figure some patterns out that are working for him? Uh, but to me, it's still a little bit of an uphill battle.
0: Yeah, well, I think all of that's fair. Again, I have him four because I do just think physically he's ready for the challenge. He played really good tennis throughout the month of February. I think he's confident coming in as well. All these things matter in a pecking order sort of affair where you know three setters are going to decide things. You're right. Tough section of the draw: CT Pass, Rublev, you know Tiafo, who I think is a dangerous guy. If Berrettini's healthy, who knows? Uh, three out of two out of three hard courts. He's he not. Open, his he's thing. not healthy. Yeah, exactly. Oh, he's not, but Alcaraz is. Thank you, Dr. Gross. Um, no, Nori, three point one percent. That's tenth according to Tennis Abstract. He's tied for nine thirty-five to one odds to win this event. All right, your four Fritz, my four Nori. Who's your three?
1: Uh, my three is Medvedev. I'm sure I I have Medvedev way lower than probably everybody else. Uh, but this is the worst hardcourt in the world for him. And the balls are different. And he has to fly across the world. So I just don't. And, and yeah, the flight thing is much less significant than the other things. But I, I don't just assume that everything is going to look completely the same with Medvedev. And at Indian Wells, there's still... An issue that that he runs into, which is finishing against speedy opponents. So two years ago he lost to Grigor Dimitrov, and last year he lost to Gael Monfils, who are two supremely athletic players. Who cover hard courts really really well and you have a slow gritty surface and now medvedev is trying to finish from the back of the court and it's an uphill battle now i loved his forehand in february i thought it was one of the things that made him so successful was how he was attacking with his forehand but he runs into a fast opponent here at indian wells and yeah i'm still worried i'm still worried about his ability to finish points uh, because of how he produces his strokes uh so I still have him at number three. He's never passed round of 16 at Indian Wells. I have him making the quarters, which would be his best run in his career. But I don't think that he should be a favorite to win Indian Wells because of this playing surface.
0: I think that's the perfect counter-argument. That's why I wanted to have you on the show, for this show in particular. He's my number one guy. You look at the numbers for uh, uh, Medvedev over the course of the past month over the course really of this 2023 season they're laughable how exceptional they are and you look for medvedev 19 and 2 what do you think the break percentage is gil
1: it's really high but can i just say like he is really good at crushing guys like his stats must be through the roof because he's winning like 6-1 okay 6-4 but who's he I'm, playing no no i'm not taking anything away from him i'm just saying some guys this is in all sports some guys are statistical darlings yeah, right like analytic darlings
0: he's the james harden of tennis <laughs> i'm right like it's that's true. what i'm saying You're that's very, what i'm saying it's true
1: yeah he, he sometimes like he's very good he's like iga in this way he's very good at rolling over his opponents and that's why i expect his numbers to be even almost more impressive than his win-loss record
0: well, that's so fascinating because David Kane and I made that exact same comparison as well in our show a couple of days ago, and it's twofold. A, by the way, the break percentage right now, 40.7%. Through 21 matches, Gil, that's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, um, a top like a top five, if not top seven server in men's tennis is putting up that break percentage. It's
0: better than Prime Djokovic, Prime Nadal. Um, you look for Medvedev as well. When was the last time, if ever, we saw a next-gen guy bounce back like this? Where, yeah, they break through, they get to the top, they have a nice run of results, then they fall off, but then they find a way to charge back. And like, where I push back against you about the analytics, darling, Medvedev's beating Sinner, FAA twice, Djokovic, Rublev, guys who were playing well going into their matches with Daniil Medvedev, and then they weren't. It is not as though he had a patty cake schedule in the month of February. He played real players in every event he played through his 14-match win streak. The final point is like, where I'm going to disagree with you, you're telling me those courts in the Middle East weren't slow and a little bit high-bouncing and a little Indian Wells-esque and that the way Medvedev had a little bit more time to swing through his forehand. I thought the forehand in particular was what separated him in the month of February. I thought he was hitting his first-strike forehand – with better precision, depth, and pace than I had ever seen. Obviously, he's back to brick wall mode on that backhand wing. That's part three. Last part I'll throw at you, and then I'm going to shut up and let you make the counterpoint one more time about why this surface is uniquely poor for him. You look at his 18-9 stretch to end last season. First of all, he was still holding serve 87.9% of the time, top 10 number. He was still breaking serve 28% of the time, top 10 number the other factors. Yes, all of these losses compiled over time, but let's actually look at who we lost to in those nine matches. Kyrios 6-2 in the third. Tsitsipas, 6-3 in the third. Kyrgios in four sets at the U.S. Open. Wawrinka, 6-3 in the third. Djokovic, he retires after injury, but going into a third set. Demonauer, 7-5 in the third. Djokovic, 7-6 in the third. Rublev 7-6 in the 3rd, Tsitsipas 7-6 in the 3rd. Yes, all of those things compiled. And in the moment, it felt like a disaster. It felt like the book was out on how to play him in the big moments. But let's also be clear. He wins like 12 more points and he goes from 18 and 9 to 24 and 5 or 23 and 5. Sorry if my math was screwed up there. Like 7-6 in the 3rd three times, they're all 3-set losses, Gil. Like Maybe we overreacted. Maybe Kyrios is a uniquely horrible matchup for Daniil Medvedev. And I actually think that's something we did figure out over yeah. the course of the past of last year. But, like, yeah, the book is out on him, but it's still really f-ing hard to beat him. And, like, it took three seven-sixes in the third, and now he's got his swagger back. Like, it's, like, cute. You guys all got your licks in when you did. It's not happening again.
1: Yeah. I can go point by point there. So for your third argument, I you can't do that for a top contender. You can do that for anybody else. Anybody okay. else and I hear you. Like if we're looking at, uh, I don't know, a guy like Grigor Dimitrov this year who nobody expects to win big titles right now. I, I might look at his resume. In fact, I was the other day and I'm like, oh, his losses are really good. Good losses. Yeah. I, I'm not giving Daniil Medvedev the good losses treatment. i'm just not i'm sorry he's beyond that to me but i get your point there uh the other one was uh was dubai slow no dubai did not look slow to me doha didn't look slow to me uh i don't know i i guess that stuff is really hard to to square up when we don't have numbers so let's just let's just move on from that and then your first one was was what
0: yeah. First of all, shout out to you for remembering the numbers of my points. Um, I thought the forehand looked better.
1: Yeah. No, I agree. But I said that in my point too. Uh, but you had something else. I didn't agree with it.
0: Confidence. Um, oh, there's a shock. Confidence. The losses <laughs> game. That's funny you say about the losses. Um, I'm not saying they were good losses. I'm saying he was never blown out. Not oh, one of those I remember your other a, point. Okay. Sure.
1: I remember your other point. You You were basically saying, look. This uh, stretch of three titles in February, he played really good guys. Oh, yeah. I I pretty much agree with that. In fact, I did a thing on Monday Match Analysis where I'm like, all right, so now uh, people keep winning three titles in three weeks on tour. Felix <laughs> yeah. did it last year. Rude did it the year before. I argued that Medvedev's is the most impressive.
0: It's the hot like thing.
1: Yeah. Uh, Medvedev took out the best guys. Better than Felix, better than Rude. I agree. Um, Yeah, but... At the same time, did he give me that, like, God, people, I, I, I hate yeah, it. Be wait, you're to, wait, yeah, he beat fucking Djokovic. I'm okay. sorry, but did you watch the match? Did you watch the match
0: wasn't great? That's he's just,
1: he's out of shape. I'm sorry. He didn't train. He didn't train in February. He said he didn't train in February. He didn't look like he trained in February. I'm getting bashed in my comment section uh, for, for, for saying that. So I don't know if your listeners are going to be pissed at me also, but I'm sorry. It's the case. He, he. He didn't have any rally tolerance. So yeah. I would love to say Medvedev beat a full power Djokovic if that's what I saw. I didn't see it. I just didn't. So I can't say that without lying. So to me, he should have beat Djokovic there. He did. Great. Felix, terrific. Okay,
0: ma- but I got to stop you there. Should have beat Djokovic is like... How many times have you said that in the past decade and a half? Four times?
1: Yes, like, because maybe? I regard Medvedev as really, really great. All right. I do. And
0: yet you said he wasn't tier one, which gets me He's back not. to the uh, That's He's not. nuts. You just said he should have beaten Djokovic. There's two guys you can say that about it's legitimately. A- there's two it's, guys.
1: He's in the form of his life on in, in the best possible conditions against an out-of-shape Djokovic. He should win. Medvedev should win that match. Okay, but, but then
0: you're either diminishing Djokovic's ceiling there. You're saying the delta between him and the rest of the field, including this Medvedev, in this moment, isn't that great? Or, like, I don't know how you don't define that as Medvedev being an unequivocal tier one guy, because the capacity to even have a moment where you should beat Djokovic, two guys, like... Him and a healthy Nadal. It's the only people you're going to say that about as it relates to Novak Djokovic. And I don't know how that doesn't like inherently. There should be like a a bylaw in the tier one rules. And the bylaw is if you ever say, oh, yeah, this guy should have beaten Djokovic and he does it straight up to tier one. It's like go to jail in Monopoly. But the good version, it's like, congrats, you're straight up to tier one.
1: I get what you're saying, but with the way he returns serve and defends if you're not willing to play long rallies against Medvedev you're completely toast so it's i mean it was a stylistically and i think he he always is tough on Djokovic, um on 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 hard court especially it's just a match that he should have won anyway let me get to the others yeah. uh felix is a matchup nightmare it's it's 6-0 now for medvedev because of again it's the return and it's the ability to kind of uh, survive that serve plus one violence, which he does probably better than anybody else, and kind of get into that neutral rally where Felix struggles. It's a bad head-to-head against Felix, although I do think they're good wins. And then Rublev, I think, is an atrocious head-to-head. I know Andre won two straight. I thought Rublev played the match of his life at the ATP Finals. It's literally my, a top three Rublev match for me. Uh, so and, you know, Andre didn't quite have that patience. And again, Medvedev was I don't I don't want to diminish it. It's a high, 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 high level. But the losses that he took last year, some of them like the ones against Curios uh, at the U.S. Open and, and in Canada and the loss uh, that that his last couple matches on hard court against Tsitsipas and his last couple losses against full power Djokovic. Do I feel like he's absolutely unequivocally gotten to a point where he's going to turn those losses into wins? I'm not convinced about that yet.
0: Okay. I think that's fair. Where do you have him going in your predictions? I
1: Whatever have him losing said? in the Yeah, I have him losing in the quarters to a a very bold bold pick who will not be in my top 5.
0: Interesting. Well, we'll get to that then in honorable mentions. That's what we call a tease. Where was Alcaraz for you by the way? I know we talked about
1: him earlier. On my top five?
0: Is he your number one? Yes. Is there anything you'd like to add to that just to finish the conversation on Alcaraz?
1: Not really. I'm assuming he's healthy, but I I will say that slow, hardcourt... It might be his best conditions.
0: Yeah, it's he's got really the power. Well said. Oh, yeah. So well said. You're just like, who is never <laughs> going to, like, who's going to track down everything and has a forehand that can slap through anything, can change direction. Also, when he hits his kick serve out wide on this surface, oh, I'm yeah. just like, oh, sweet baby rays. Like, <laughs> it's just over. <laughs> like, oh.
1: Well, how about this? Like, I love physicality at Indian Wells. I want, like, great combination of speed and power that's what i want at this event for this surface i want you to be able to defend to take advantage of the slowness i also want you to be able to hit the out of the ball (laughs) to actually get through the court and if you can do those two things at a super high level you're in you're in really good shape
0: very well said well then with all of that in mind Two names to go on our list, and then we'll get to the honorable mentions. My number three, your number two. Let's start with you. Who's number two for you?
1: Stefanos Tsitsipas.
0: Not on my list. He's obviously in my honorable mentions, but make the case.
1: The only hesitation I have, well, actually, I I do have two. Um, First of all, this shoulder injury, which I'll be completely honest, I forgot about it. Um, just because there were no retirements. The Acapulco withdrawal, uh, apparently I missed that. Uh, but yeah, let's hope the shoulder is good. He lost to Yannick Center very, very badly in Rotterdam. It, it wasn't a loss that I wanted to read too much into just coming off of the Australian Open final. But essentially with Paz, this is a guy who has not played well at in Indian Wells, and I just don't get why. In theory I love these conditions for him to find the forehand and to just hit what I think is the best forehand in the world uh, repeatedly gets time to run around his backhand uh he the the court will take to the spin he has again the movement to defend on this surface um I'm I feel good about him right now in general in 2023, just the way he played in Australia. And I'm taking that and I'm bringing it to here now. I just, uh, how do you justify not having him in the top five?
0: Because I'm an idiot and I wanted to have some fun with throwing Nori in the list over Pass, just given what we'd seen in the month of February, given the physicality, I think it's going to require to win um, this event, but yeah, like, He should have been in my top five. Now that you mentioned, I think you make a really good case for him. I think the numbers do as well. He since the start of 2021, there have been 10 hard court majors. Ct Pass has made the quarterfinals or further in six of them. He's made the semifinals or further in four of them. You know he's made runs at Indian Wells before the quarterfinals here in 2021. You're right. He has a little bit more time to swing through the backhand, and his serve, his forehands are weapons that will hit through any court it comes down to the health issue again it's like I think some other guys have some similar weapons similar track records of success that I would put them on an even keel with CC pass right now and they're just healthier than CC pass is but for what it's worth CC pass according to tennis abstract tennis 0.6, uh 10.6 percent chance excuse me second best odds he's plus 750 third best odds according to Draftkings the best by the way Medvedev I didn't mention that 20.3 percent plus 300 odds. You made a really good point for Pass. Now, I look at his section of the draw. Right away, I see Cressy, which I think is an interesting matchup for him, would be a fun one in the third round. I also think an Americans getting to championship weekend, and of all the matchups I see, like this has to do with my prediction that Francis Tiafo is going to get to the semifinal, and I just think... It's a good matchup for Francis. It always has been. Like, again, he loves playing through that pass backhand, loves moving forward, loves putting some pressure, keeping pass on the back foot. Slower, high-bouncing surface, he has a little bit more time for his forehand. It's not a bet against pass as much as it is a bet on Francis Tiafo, but you make a really good case. Like, that would be my argument against. Sure. Not healthy, uh, tough draw.
1: Yeah, I, I don't... I do think it's a tough section to pick. I don't know if it's, yeah. I don't know if we're looking at a gauntlet here, but there you're are right. a lot of names in here that are are interesting. And look, you can throw Tiafo. It's interesting that that you think these conditions suit him well. I don't fully agree on, on that. Actually, I prefer him on something slicker or lower bo- bouncing that's actually going to help his back end. I know you're pointing out that this court will help his forehand. That's kind of the interesting thing about Tiafo the forehand versus the backhand, they're completely different shots. But uh, look at like all of the Indian Wells success in this section. Rublev, a semifinalist last year, Nori, a former champion, and Dimitrov, semifinals two years ago, quarterfinals last year at Indian Wells. Uh, plus a guy who I, I absolutely love in Yuri Lahechka is unseated in this section. Lahechka's tearing it up in 2023. I think he's ready to do big things. I have him making the quarterfinal. Uh... Wow. My hope is that
0: your spicy pick?
1: No, that's not my spicy pick.
0: Ah, I like I have even a more. Carry on. I have a
1: spicier pick, man. Uh Titi Pass. Here's what I'm hoping for the shoulder thing being a blessing in disguise because it's a guy who just plays too much. Sure. Right? Yeah. So maybe he'll actually be well rested and he won't burn out after Roland Garros like he has the last three years.
0: Really well said. Uh, Again, should be in the top five. Um, That was an oversight by me. But I'm really happy with my third, my final name, my number three in my contender list. A name that I know just brings you joy every time you see him play. Uh, Maybe your favorite player right now in the ATP Top 20 Gil. Do you wanna guess who I'm talking about?
1: Yeah, are you are you putting Hercot?
0: There it is. He no, knew it was coming. Who be number three at my list? Can I make the case four before I let you go on your forehand rant?
1: Yeah, of course.
0: Who be Hercot since the start of twenty twenty one? Ten total masters events played on hard courts. What do you think his record is? He played thirty five matches.
1: Masters on, on hard courts?
0: Yeah, since the start of twenty twenty one.
1: Awesome. I mean Twenty twenty. Can you tell me how many? Thirty-five matches? total
0: matches. Yeah, sorry, that's right. Okay. I yeah, you might have missed.
1: Um, uh, let me just guess. I think his win percentage is seventy-two percent.
0: Seventy-four percent. Gooden by Prices Rice rules. Twenty-six and nine overall. Hubie hercuts. Yeah. He's made the quarterfinals or further six different times. Semifinals four times. Finals two times. Obviously has a title as well. They call him Hoobie Masters 1000 Hercots. Like, yeah. tell me I'm wrong here, Gil. He makes the final in Canada last year, wins Miami a couple of years ago. By the way, if we're playing the losses game, his last nine losses at, at the uh, Masters. Medvedev, Karenio Busta, Dimitrov, Djokovic, Rublev. Alcaraz six and six by the way, three sets to cranial boost in the Canada final. He then loses first round Cincinnati six two in the third to Isner. That's a schedule loss. Loses to Runa in Paris. How'd Runa do at that event? Oh yeah, he went on to win the damn thing. You have to beat Hubie to win a Masters, like you <laughs> uh, on hard courts. You do. Like he's he's the gatekeeper, Gil. Do you? Like, he is standing there. He's. What the f*** is Idris Elba's character in the Marvel movies? I forget what his name is. But you know like how when you go and play Thor – or you go and play Thor. You don't play Thor. When you're going to to Asgard, he's the – Heimlich, is that his name? Where he's like the guy who's – you're not a Marvel guy. Um, But he is the Idris Elba character of the ATP at Masters 1000 Hardcore Events. And it's just like – again – Leader and aces over the last 52 weeks. Third and hold percentage he's held serve 89.8% of that time during that stretch. Slower court gives him a little more time on that forehand. Less time to be rushed. We know physically 6'6". Six, six, he's fluid, can do a little bit of everything. Comfortable or His serve will be maximized with the high bounce on this surface as well. Tell me why Hooby shouldn't be third here, Gil.
1: Uh, because I have him losing to Tommy Paul. Okay. But in it's all fair. seriousness, I I almost look. I like him at Indian Wells. Don't get me wrong. All the things you pointed out, very prudent. Nine and three career prudent. record. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> does that did, does that make you feel good? Gonna, call your it's point, going on my Twitter bio.
0: Yeah. He called me prudent. That's good. <laughs> I like it.
1: Uh, nine and three lifetime at Indian Wells. <laughs> the high bounce is terrific for his forehand. You know that. There's nothing I hate more than Herkatch's forehand. Uh, it, <laughs> yeah. it gives me, gives me ajita. It I lose hair because of it. It it is bothersome to me. It, I think about it in my sleep. Uh, I just think he could be such a, uh, a great player if if he hit if he had a forehand and he doesn't. I don't want to stop your roll. What bothers you more?
0: Okay, listeners, I just want you to know this is how you know that Gil and I, who by the way, I. West off and Dalton aside, closest friend I've probably made since college is Gil Gross listeners, which is why I bring this up because this is indicative that we actually are friends now. That I could ask you something like this. I'm so excited. What do you despise more? I'm so excited. The hoopy her forehand or tomato and lettuce on a breakfast
1: sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? There's there's nothing worse than tomato and I lettuce <laughs> on a breakfast sandwich.
0: I know you well enough now to know you think that I'm really like this is our friendship's taking the next stage, Gil. But carry on.
1: Yeah, the backstory is uh, <laughs> yeah. we were we were uh, sent. <laughs> I I won't get into full detail, but we were sent a breakfast sandwich that had lettuce and tomato on it uh, in Los Angeles and
0: diatribe.
1: From yeah, Gilchrist. I mean, oh my God, man! Because what you miss in LA, <laughs> I've lived in LA for almost a year and a half. Give it now, to us. What we need here is so simple that but nobody can seem to do it a, a bacon, egg and cheese or a sausage, egg and cheese, either one, whatever floats your boat on a on a deli roll, a poppy seed deli roll with salt, pepper and ketchup. That's it. OK, egg, <laughs> cheese, American cheese, by the way, not fancy cheese, no green, <laughs> no vegetables, okay a breakfast sandwich it should be under ten dollars and that's what we don't have here in la and it makes me upset what if Uh, it's
0: cheddar instead of american
1: well i it shouldn't be okay it should be american cheese
0: (laughs) does it have to be craft like straight out of the plastic do you have to unfold it
1: yes it should be cheese product not real cheese (laughs) uh I'm okay, like occasionally, with the fancy <laughs> breakfast sandwich. But the fact that you can't find a non-fancy breakfast sandwich in L.A. is a huge problem. It's almost See, as big a problem as Hircot's forehand.
0: Well, where I would counter is if you want something fancy for breakfast, burrito. Like the burrito's fancy, the sandwich is plain. Like I agree with you. I think that's the difference. It's like if you want <laughs> on your breakfast, get a burrito. Like don't don't go the sandwich route.
1: Fair? Yeah, but it, uh, somewhat fair. But in L.A., it's probably reversed. I would say yeah, your fun. average breakfast burrito is you can find much many more cheaper breakfast burritos than you can cheap breakfast sandwiches, which is just it's its L.A. stuff. I know right. it's not how it's like not not how it is. Rest of the country.
0: Well, what's cheap about the Hurcot's game other than the forehand? What is your biggest concern? Why is well, it breaking down?
1: N- I envision him having a terrible time finishing points against Tommy Paul if they play. The way Paul is moving, and I'm, I do think he'll recover from a very physical Acapulco because Tommy Paul has worked incredibly hard on his ability to recover recently. Um, I just think the speed is going to be a real problem for Hercotch against Tommy. Paul has a 5-2 and two record in Indian Wells. Uh, two top five wins, uh, one over Zverev, one over Rublev. Um, I also think that the surface helps his forehand, which can be rushed, which I think is better when he flattens it out from a high contact point. And uh, that's that's really all I can say about Hurkacz because I am high on him. But I go with Tommy Paul uh, in, in this case. And then Tommy No, that's Tommy your
0: Paul- theory, by the way. I, I yeah. about Tommy. I, I see no issue with that, by the way.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: And so, all right. Well, then, those are the names. Uh, again, Gil's top five. He has Sinner five, Fritz four, Medvedev three, Tsitsipas two, Elkaraz one. I go Elkaraz five, Nori four, Hurkacz three, Sinner two, Medvedev one— Honorable mention, guys. We didn't talk about. <laughs> I, we're always mean when we talk Andre Rublev, so I'm almost afraid to bring him up. But like, he has to be in the honorable mention, right? He's playing solid ball right now. It's just the same.
1: Yeah, you can throw him in. I, I don't have. I don't have that much new to say about him, but yeah. it's it's great that he made that Dubai final <laughs> because. If he if he lost a third set tiebreak against Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, if he yeah. lost that tiebreak, we would have been talking about an Andre Rublev who has basically played what six events and five of them would have been disappointing. Yeah. Uh, only the Australian Open, where he made the quarters, would have been. You know, a, a decent run for Andre. Talk
0: about the string theory for Davidovich Fokina. He wins in straight sets over Medvedev in Rotterdam. He beats <laughs> Rublev in the Middle East. It's like, are we talking? Is he the guy now? Uh, oh, oh, forward. oh, can we yeah. discuss?
1: So, is, can he we discuss?
0: is he now an honorable mention?
1: He, I, I am picking him to the semifinal.
0: Oh, that's the spice. No. That's great. Make the case.
1: Well, look, this is good losses, guy. I see okay. him take a set off of Medvedev. I see him push Rublev to a third set tie break. Um, and he is the player outside of the top 20 who for two years, maybe two and a half years now, I've been like, this guy has the most upside out of anybody. This is the upside guy who isn't fulfilling his talent. And you know he doesn't have that like Bublik curios thing going on because he tries very hard. And as a result, nobody really wants to talk about how he under under underachieves compared to what his talent level is but the fact is he does because he's too emotional on court because he doesn't focus he has ups and downs he he sulks when when there's adversity in matches instead of continuing to compete hard his shot selection is bad so all of these ways he shoots himself in the foot gets in the way of what he has the ability to do on a tennis court which is move as fast as anybody hit the ball as hard as anybody good creativity good touch I mean, there's a lot going for him from a talent standpoint. His serve isn't great. But other than that, technically, he's incredible. Well, what I've seen from him recently is a lot of just calm, kind of more of a meditative version of Davidovich Vakina. And I believe the results are really, really close to bearing out the fact that he's a different guy now and that he's made real changes, just not quite there. I think it's about to happen. If it's going to happen, it should happen on a really really slow surface uh, because he needs a surface that allows him to get into return games. His serve is not great and he needs to break serve a lot and Indian Wells should allow him to do that. Um and that's why I just feel like look, it's going to happen at some point, I believe for him and I'm going to say it happens now.
0: I love that prediction. He's your chapeau demon hour. That's uh, and like <laughs> that's that's your that's your uh forbidden fruit or whatever it may be the apple of your eye yeah he belongs in that tier by the way of just like too athletic to be written off right now too young to be written off that's a great dark horse pick he's your rusevori that's the other one it's like you know rusevori i just like i see it and when he plays well he just dictates he's on top of things he has a little bit more time on this surface that would be my Dividovich Fokina equivalent but yeah, I think it's going to be a really fun event. Like, again, more than anything else, pecking order. Let's figure out, roll the balls out. Who's good? Who's not? Who's going to provide us material for season two of Breakpoint, which, of course, we now learn is going to be renewed. Let's end there. Good news for a show. By the way, I watched the first few episodes of Full Swing. We'll save it for the Breakpoint show. Yeah. Yeah, you were right. That's a tease. You were right. Just about the sentiment. You were, you were right as it relates to between the two. And we'll tell, we don't have to get into that here, but both renewed thoughts.
1: Uh, good. It would have been surprising if it wasn't renewed because there wouldn't really have been enough time for them to even know if it was successful or not. Given the timeline of everything, like they have to start filming, uh, you know pretty early on obviously a year in advance to kind of get this thing together so i don't think it means much but i mean hey it would have been a, a huge bummer if it wasn't renewed so that's good
0: mm-hmm. well said well said <laughs> uh that's i think that's uh that's where we can end uh today's show with all that in mind indian wells on the horizon what can we expect from you
1: yeah uh this was super fun thanks for having me on as always um I have a wedding first weekend of Indian Wells, and then after wow. that, we'll, we'll, go, we'll go big-time now? content. No, this is the first wedding I will—I yeah, have not welcome. been to a single wedding as, as an adult. I've wow. never consumed alcohol at a wedding, all right? And I am yeah. 24.
0: I like well, is Jenna going to be there?
1: Yeah. It, okay, well, it's actually means- in Dallas. It's Jenna's friend. I don't. I don't even know the people. Oh, you're Which a plus I think, one. That's isn't the that best not going to make it great?
0: That's the best part. Like, I have
1: no obligations. I don't need to talk to even. I don't even need to talk to anybody all other right. than Jenna. Are you a gonna dancer? be great. No,
0: that's the problem. So fundamentally, right there, that's going to be the issue. You got to dance your booty off. Like, otherwise, all right, here's my question to you: If you don't dance at weddings, what the <laughs> else is there to do?
1: Bro, why are you asking me that? I've never been to a wedding. Oh, That's That's hilarious.
0: That's really. Okay. (laughs) Well, there you go right there. I'm telling you, if you're not. And by the way, you're a guest. So get wasted in a safe and responsible way. Jenna can do all the things to take care of you. Um, But like, and shout out to Jenna always. But like, if you're not dancing, you're just not going to enjoy yourself.
1: I will be dancing, but I. you asked me if I'm a dancer. I'm not going to say yes to that. It would be inaccurate for me to say yes to that. No. I'm like ai am like a three-drink minimum in order to start dancing. That means oh. I'm not a dancer.
0: Okay, you're right. Like, I am a dancer, as you know. Um, yeah. And I make up for my lack of skill with a passion and enthusiasm unbeknownst to mankind. And at a wedding, I'm telling you, that's like, I mean— one little shoulder shimmy from Gil Gross, and you'll own the wedding. Like, that's what I'm saying. It's just be out there, be yourself. But, of course, Monday Match Analysis, we're all looking forward to all the different co- – Oh, I don't think I allowed you to actually plug. What are you doing post-wedding?
1: Oh, uh, yeah. Gil Gross YouTube. Follow me on TikTok, by the way, is a wow. sentence that I'd never say. But, yeah, do that. Gil Gross underscore. Uh, I, I, think that's, I think that'll do it. Yeah. Uh, also, your favorite podcast platforms. Look up Monday Match Analysis. So it's Gil Gross on YouTube, but it's Monday Match Analysis on the audio.
0: I'm glad to the next intro I'll get to add a puppet to the Chinese government with his new TikTok following. But with all of that said, shout out to Gil Gross. Shout out, of course, to our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, for the f*** of any job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. Shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said for the fantastic Gil Gross, our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Gil, what do we tell our listeners?
1: That's the break.
0: And we will see you all tomorrow. Thank you as always, my friend.
1: Thanks, Krosky.